Good morning. I'm Pastor Gary, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to join us online this morning here at Living Way Church. First, before we get into our sermon this morning, I have a question for all of you. I really enjoy putting together all the devotionals for Holy Week, and I was considering doing something similar to that, just not on that scale every day. So rather than a daily devotional, perhaps a weekly devotional for Wednesday evening. I believe that this is something that I could continue to do even when I return to work, hopefully real soon here. If this is something that you'd like to see me do, and here's the key, something you'd be willing to watch weekly, just shoot me a message or comment below. This morning, we're going to be continuing our current sermon series, A Generous Life, The Beauty in Giving. This is week two in what is going to be a four-part series. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 20 and the principle that giving is better than receiving. Today, we're going to be looking at the principle that a blessed gift is one that starts with the right motives. The question that you and I have to ask ourselves today is, why? Why do we do the good things that we do? Now, all of us initially, I believe, I hope at least, would give some, would give some altruistic response to this question. Well, I do good because it's the right thing to do. When we give to others, either of our time, talents, or finances, what is it that truly motivates us, though? I don't believe at the outset that anyone would say anything other than it's the right thing. But maybe if we dig much deeper, we'll find a different answer. What ultimately, what really motivates the heart of the giver? The answer is not as simple as we might initially believe, I don't think. And as we look at today's verses, I want you to really think about what truly motivates you. So, this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14, and then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In these two passages, we're going to look at Jesus' words as he is teaching on generosity and giving, and in particular, what we are seeking to gain when we ourselves give. Let's begin by reading Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. When, we, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He said, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host invited who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, rather, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all. The other guest, <clears throat> for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, or your brothers, or sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they, might, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, rather, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you, 
you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, our story here begins today with Jesus going to a dinner. And he notices that people are jockeying for the best seats in the house. And instead of calling them out directly, he chooses to tell them a parable. And as is in typical fashion with a parable, it kind of goes around the subject to get to the point. The point here really has little to do with where you sit at a party, but rather or not, whether or not you have a humble heart. Why are you seeking the best seat at a dinner party or a wedding or whatever kind of gathering you may be attending? And Jesus is so gracious about it. Rather than telling them that their prideful decisions may make them look the fool, he instead says, look, none of us wants to be humiliated in front of everyone. So don't take the seat of honor. The host may have someone else in mind for that seat. If you take the lowest place, then and then only may the host be able to elevate you to a better seat. But pride. I'm certain that no one watching today struggles with pride. But I know that we have all seen that person who has to make much of themselves and oftentimes at the expense of others, who thinking they're wise ends up looking like the fool. When someone has to bring them down a notch or two and show them where they truly rest in the order of things. And Jesus says, no one wants to be that guy. So check your pride at the door. There are times that we could all check our pride at the door. We can all have a tendency towards pride. The important part is recognizing this reality. If we fail to do this, then we will fall into the trap that pride presents. And that is thinking more highly of ourselves than what is true what others truly even see of us. So we must continually ask God to check our hearts. We must always be on the watch for pride. Cultivating humility, though, is not easy. It takes work and self-awareness that is rarely seen in people today. But that's because our culture has taught us to be prideful beings. It's kind of funny, actually. Our culture tells us to be proud of who we are, be proud of our accomplishes, accomplishments, be a strong, proud person, but no one likes a braggart. Someone who is truly proud will constantly speak of themselves and no one else. Where is that line between pride and humility, though? Our culture pushes us to be prideful, but then rejects us for not being more humble. This may be part of the reason so many of us are so uncertain of ourselves and lack so little self-worth. We see ourselves with such little value because our culture has created such confusion. The answer is simple. Be humble. When you are humble, others will lift you up. When you are prideful, others will seek to bring you down. Our culture has told us for far too long how to live our lives, and they are simply wrong. We need to let Jesus speak to us today, that we might learn a new way, the right way of living. Our culture has told us to go for what is rightfully ours, to go for the gold. Our culture loves to cater to the rich and the famous, the powerful, the movers and the shakers. And unfortunately, social media has simply fueled this beast. Our pride has only grown all the more. However, we are in part to blame because we continue to fuel that pride. We show favoritism oftentimes no different than others 
to those whom we wish to. And yet Romans 2, chapter 11, chapter 2, verse 11 says, For God does not show favoritism. How much would this world change if we stop showing favoritism to those around us? Jesus, in verse 11, which is the key here, says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God will exalt those who humble themselves, and the gift is the kingdom. This is exactly what Paul is talking about when he describes the very life of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where he writes, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, after telling this parable, Jesus gives instructions on how one should really throw a party in verses 12 through 14. He says, Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But rather, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Here Jesus goes completely against what one may normally do. He is telling them to invite the least desirables from among them. If we only invite those that we think might somehow reciprocate by inviting us at some point, or may give us a nice gift or something, what are we ultimately saying about our own hearts? If this is how we live life, how are we through this truly building any sort of community among ourselves? A community that can stand when the going gets tough like it is in our society right now. Is that the kind of community you want to be a part of? Where the only reason you may or may not be invited to a social gathering is for the benefit of the host? When I put it like that, it doesn't sound very appealing, does it? But this is how much of our world lives every day. Why do we not invite those whom our culture does not deem desirable, though? I will give you one reason here. There are many. One of the problems in our culture is that certain conditions in people's lives we see as their problem. The problems that they face right now are their own fault for some reason or another, right? So for instance, poor people are poor because they're lazy. The problem with that attitude is that it does not breed in any way compassion for the poor. Perhaps that person grew up with very little family support or training or reinforcement in life. Our selflessness would give without worry or concern of why the person is poor. We would simply seek to help. 
Jesus exhorts against pride because it does not make the building of true community, particularly the church community, possible. If we are genuine in our humility, it will be a guard against a personally destructive and blinding understanding of life that ignores many people. And this is perhaps the most important part of the outflow of genuine humility. When people know that we genuinely care, they're far more likely to listen to what we have to say when we share the truth of who Jesus is for them and to them in these difficult times in which they now find themselves. Developing a humble spirit and living in light of that, however, is very difficult. It is not easy. It goes against our very nature as fallen human beings. It goes against our very real desire for affirmation from others. And there's nothing wrong in receiving affirmation. It is difficult to not seek the honored role, to voluntarily move down a few seats, to let others bring credit perhaps to their own work, or to pay attention to those who may not be able to give back that which was given to them. There is an appropriate time to receive glory or recognition from others and from God. The key is that we need to allow that to emerge spontaneously and naturally. We need to continually ask the questions, do we, am I seeking attention? Do we do righteous deeds only to those who can repay us in some way? All right, we're going to shift just a bit and look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 now. Jesus is going to continue on this theme of humble generosity. And he says here, he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, so that they might be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In verse 1, Jesus mentions these acts of righteousness. What are these exactly? They are the external activities that we do in our ongoing process as we are transformed to be more like Christ. This is the act of what the church calls sanctification. It's a good thing. That is the process in which you are transformed. You are made to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, within you to look more and more like the image of Jesus. That which you were originally created to be. So these are good things, or at least they should be good things, right? We need to understand that our public religious life is actually very important for the development of our spiritual life. It is here that we gather together for worship as the church. It is here that we gain instruction in the Word of God. And it is here that we encourage one another daily. This is what it means to be the church. This is the very heart of the church that we're talking about. However, our public worship life is also a hazardous place to live. Our public practices can become little more 
than religious acts performed so that others might, be, might see our piety. We must guard against this. It is interesting to me historically that so many in the Protestant church speak against the Catholic church because of this. But we can fall into the exact same trap. We must constantly ask ourselves if we are performing religious acts in the public so that we can receive admiration and respect from the public or from God. If we do this for the public, then Jesus says, we will lose the reward from our Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that our heart, our motives, are more important than the activities that we practice. We must practice what are called the spiritual disciplines. We must. And we are called to do so in the assembly of the church. We are called to public worship. We are called to the reading of the word of God and prayer and giving. These are good things. We must practice them in the context of the church. And when we do this, when we do so, they, they will bring to us an interchange in our heart, in the heart of the believer. We will be changed. We must first seek, however, the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. When we do this, Jesus will change us through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We will be sanctified by his grace through his power. We will be made more and more into the likeness of his image. We must be careful to guard our hearts with humility, because when we do not, well, Jesus has a warning here, right? Those who perform religious practices such as worshiping, reading scripture, or giving without humility, but rather do so to receive praise from others, he calls them hypocrites. The word hypocrite is an interesting word. It was originally used for Greek actors who wore various masks upon their faces in order to play different roles. In other words, they hid their true identity and self behind a mask. And Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Jesus is calling them hypocrites because they are putting on an outward act or a play for the praises of their audience, all the while hiding their true inner corruption and sin. The hypocrisy is doing the right things for the wrong reasons. These hypocrites are not being generous in order to be generous. Instead, they are being generous in order to receive the generous praises of others. They are seeking the honor and glory from people rather than from Jesus. Unfortunately, our play is a tragedy. It is a tragic play that is played out before the world, but completely unseen by the world. You see, the tragedy of their acting is that they will receive in full their just reward from the public for their pious actions. But when they stand before their Creator, their Lord, their Messiah, Jesus, there will be no reward. It is important for us to understand this principle that Jesus is teaching here. Why we do what we do matters, especially to him. True generosity does not seek rewards. And if you truly believe this, then Jesus says, do it in secret. And when you do, your Father who is in heaven, who sees all things, even those done in secret, he will be the one who will reward you. Hypocrisy can show up in the smallest of things. I have a funny anecdotal story that involves little Johnny. It may be helpful or not, but it's funny. And I hope helpful, so I'm going to tell it, because I like it. So, 
Following a great sermon on lifestyle evangelism, one family thought they had better do something to witness to Jesus. So they invited their neighbors to dinner the following Friday night. When it came to the meal, the hostess was keen to show their neighbors that they upheld Christian standards in their home. So she asked little five-year-old Johnny to say grace. Little Johnny was a bit shy, though. He was uncertain what to say, and so he looked at his mom and he said, I don't know what to say, Mom. Well, darling, she said, just say what Daddy said at breakfast this morning. Johnny sat up straight and he thought, I can do that. Obediently, he repeated, Oh, God, we've got those awful people coming to dinner tonight. Why we do what we do matters to Jesus. If she had been more concerned with the lost hearts of those present, she would probably not have asked Johnny to pray in order to impress her guests. Instead, her husband would have simply taken the lead and prayed for their time together. What we do, why we do what we do matters. In comparing Luke 14 and Matthew 6, we see the common thread of a generous life that gives without an expected earthly reward, either via physical response or verbal praise. How do we live this out, though? How do we do this? Are we actually practicing generosity? Are we being truly generous with our time, our talents, and our finances? Are we being generous with our talents or gifts? There are a few things to consider here. First, what are those gifts that God has given to you? How has God gifted you to serve others? Second, are we willing to give the time needed to serve others through those gifts? That leads us naturally to whether or not we are being generous with our time. If we're going to be generous, it will take time. Even if it's the simple time needed to write a check or to go online and to give, it will take time. And if we're going to be generous with our talents, that is going to take even more time. Are you willing to give up that which once spent can never be recovered? And that's time. Are you willing to do that serving others? Just think about how you're spending much of your time right now. What if you spent just some of that serving others? Serving your church family, serving your own family, serving your neighbors, perhaps. Have you taken the time to think about how best to serve others? And what about our finances? That's what Jesus is really discussing here in our passage. We can discuss all day long what the Bible says is the right amount to give. I would say this, though. If you're worried about that question, there is a much bigger issue within your heart. I will simply quote Matthew 6, verse 21, that says, For where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where your heart is, is where you will invest your treasures. Giving should be a joyous moment in the heart of an individual. And to give to one's church so that the mission of the church might go forward should be the greatest moment of joy for a Christian. So I would say this, give joyously. If you're unable to give with joy, then examine your heart. Ask God to show you why. And then be ready, because I believe that that question he is going to answer. And you may not like what he says, but when he speaks, I would suggest you respond. Because the impact this little thing has on all of your life is tremendous. We just don't see that. You see, how we give to the church 
should be seen by each of us as a barometer of our own spiritual health. Now, what I don't want you to do now is to give recklessly in order to show that you're somehow spiritual or spiritually healthy, because that would not be healthy, but rather simply reckless. But rather, see it as a way to judge how healthy you are spiritually. We all say that we trust God, but do we really trust him? This is one area in which God says it's okay to test him. Give and watch him work. He's kind of daring us to see if we will bless, if he will bless us, if we're obedient to give. God will bless you when you decide to really give to his church and to do so joyfully and not out of compulsion. In fact, you will experience joy that flows into your heart from God. Just give rightly. Give humbly. Give with a joyous heart, knowing that you are helping the gospel go forth into this lost and hurting world, that through your gift to God, you are blessing others who are far from him. And give secretly. Don't tell anyone, other than your spouse if you have one, or perhaps your children as a teaching moment. Can you imagine a humble world? A world shaped by people who do good in secret, a world where people don't seek the accolades of the press or other people. Imagine how quiet Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram would become instantly. Take time this afternoon and think about how you might be able to, over this next week, serve God by serving others in secret. How can you become that secret blesser in someone's life? Now, the truth is that you may not be able to perhaps you know, perhaps you know someone that has a huge need, but it requires you and them to be in communication about whatever it is you want to bless them through. And that's fine. Just don't tell anyone else what you did. That means Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and whatever else is out there, right? This week, privately, or perhaps with your family, but in secret, give time to seek Jesus, to see how he has blessed you and your family so that you might bless others. Be blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we come humbly before you, seeking first your kingdom and the righteousness that flows from your kingdom. We ask that you would examine our hearts and remove all that blocks us from being humble servants of our Lord and King, our Messiah, our Jesus. And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, cleanse us that we might humbly serve. Bless us, Lord Jesus, that we might be a blessing. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Know this. You have been deeply blessed by God so that you might humbly bless others. Now, have a blessed week. Amen.